Hi, my name is Laurence Tatlin. I'm a reader uh, in Cardiff University in Ancient History, and my research focuses on ancient botany and pharmacology. One type of source I work a lot with is uh, ancient recipes. Uh, so we have thousands and thousands of uh, recipes from antiquity, so recipes for food, for cosmetics, but mainly for uh, drugs. And the reason why we have all those recipes is because ancient authors, and in particular medical authors, such as Galen, the very famous physician who was active in the second century AD, uh, compiled collections, huge collections of uh, those recipes. And those collections were copied and recopied through the Middle Ages, and then they were printed uh, in the early modern period, and that's how we know them. Today, I think it's fair to say that uh, we are used to reading recipes in a relatively set format. And this format is uh, here of a book of Nigella Lawson. Uh, it's to have a, a list of ingredients with exact quantities and then a series of steps on how to prepare uh, the recipe, this very, very delicious uh, chocolate cake. Um, Ancient recipes are not as user-friendly as uh, modern uh, recipes, and in particular, they're quite short on detail on how to concoct the recipe, uh, which means that if you try to recreate an ancient recipe, you often have to go through a trial and error uh, before you, you get there. And even if you get there, you're not quite sure you're getting what the ancients uh, did. For the rest of this talk, I'd like to tell you about one of my favourite recipes, which is the recipe of Mithridates VI of Pontus. So Mithridates uh, was a king in the late 2nd century BC and the 1st century uh, BC, and he was the king of a kingdom called Pontus, which is centred around the uh, Black Sea, which uh, in antiquity was known as the Pontic Sea. He was a formidable king, a very learned king, uh, and also a great warrior, uh, and he was a terrible enemy of the Romans. And the Romans waged three wars against him uh, until uh, eventually uh, a general called Pompey the Great uh, vanquished him. And uh, Mithridates uh, didn't want to be taken to Rome as a prisoner and paraded in triumph there, so he decided to kill himself uh, to have an honourable uh, death. <clears throat> Our sources on Mithridates, which uh, are mostly Roman, uh, tell us uh, that Mithridates was uh, very interested in, in science, and in particular he was interested in botany. Uh, so he would go uh, visit his, uh, his quite big uh, kingdom and collect plants from the various parts of the, the kingdom. And he also collected knowledge about those plants. Uh, and he did that through dialogue with his subjects. So allegedly he knew over 20 languages and that knowledge allowed him to, uh, to talk to all his subjects in their uh, native languages. Uh, and then he wrote down that language, uh, he wrote it down in Greek because that was the main language of science uh, at the time. And we told that uh, when the Romans uh, took hold of his belongings, they found the, the books on botany and they had them translated into Latin. And uh, we are told that this translation was very significant and was of great benefit to the Romans. 
not only was Mephrodates uh, interested in plants, he was also interested in mixing them together and making preparations. And in particular, he was interested in finding an antidote, so a remedy against poison. And now the threat of poisoning was very real uh, in ancient courts, so it's perhaps uh, quite uh, natural that uh, Mephrodates wanted to find uh, such a, a remedy. Our sources uh, diverge a bit, uh, but they agree on the fact that Mephrodates had become immune. Uh, that is, he could take any poison and that would have no effect on him. Uh, and he was so immune to poison that when he decided to kill himself, he took a very powerful poison, but that had no effect, and he had to call upon an attendant or a friend to achieve by the sword what he could not achieve uh, by taking poison. The Roman author Pliny the Elder, who was an encyclopedist active in the first century uh, AD, alleges uh, that he has the original uh, recipe of Mithridates. And this recipe was, according to Pliny, a very simple one. It was, uh, it constituted of four ingredients. I have those four ingredients here, and they are figs, two figs, two walnuts, 20 leaves of rue. You might not know rue, but rue is quite a common garden herb and then a, a pinch of salt. So these are the four ingredients. And they should be crushed together and taken while fasting. So I have crushed the ingredients for you. And uh, I have tried it, uh, and I can try a little bit here. And I can tell you that it's actually a very pleasant uh, preparation. So it might not be effective at all against poisoning, but it's quite a nice thing to take. Now Pliny had vested interest in presenting the recipe of Mithridates as being a very simple one. And that is because by the time of Pliny, the Mithridatic antidote had become a very fashionable preparation amongst the Romans. And it was a preparation that included a huge amount of ingredients usually around 50. And to Pliny the Elder, such preparations were showy, faddy, oriental imports that were not worthy of the practical, uh, simple, reasonable Romans. So that's why Pliny presented it like that. The fact is we will never know what the original recipe of Mithridates looked like. Uh, but we can make some observations about what the preparation had become by the first century C. And we can do that because we have several recipes of the Mithridatic antidote. They're all slightly different, but they have points in common. And I'd like to stress two of those points. The first point is that they include a lot of ingredients, as I've said, um, around 50. Some of those ingredients were easy to find all over the Roman Empire. So there was wine, there was honey, there were garden herbs. But others came from further. They came from Arabia, they came from India, and they came from further east. And here I have some of those ingredients. 
So the, the mephrodatic antidote included several types of pepper. It included cardamom. It included ginger. It included cinnamon. It included nard. I don't have nard. This is quite an expensive uh, product. It also included myrrh and frankincense. So myrrh and frankincense are both uh, resins. They're the resins of shrubs and they're highly scented uh, resins. You, you, you can eat them. It's not that nice, but you, you, you can consume, uh, consume them. So I refer to the antidote of Mephrodates as being the world in a drug because the ingredients came from all over the, the known world. And I would go even further by saying that this drug was nature in a drug because it included mostly plant ingredients, but it also included mineral ingredients, so some clays and some animal ingredients. And the main animal ingredient that it included was castoreum. And castoreum is a scented, um, uh, scented product that the ancients believed to be uh, to come from uh, the uh, the testicles of the beaver. It actually doesn't come from the testicles of the beaver. It comes from uh, anal gland, uh, but that's what the, the ancients uh, thought. So that's one of the characteristics of those recipes. A second important characteristic is that the, the recipe is said to work against a vast array uh, of things. So it's said to work against poisoning, but also against the bites of venomous animals and against a huge series of diseases that go from uh, the very common, such as indigestion, to the very severe, so for instance, peripneumonia, which is a respiratory disease, or tetanus. We can debate uh, on whether ancient tetanus is the same as modern tetanus, but I can tell you that they, they were both uh, severe uh, diseases. And now it's quite clear that uh, even if the preparation had, by modern standards, antibacterial properties or um, analgesic properties, uh, it, it could not be effective against all those diseases. Uh, but uh, the, the question of efficacy of ancient drugs is a very complex one, and uh, it may be the case that ancient expectations of efficacy were very different to, to modern ones. And I would say that uh, the ancients actually took the drugs like, like this uh, as a tonic, so a bit like we, we take uh, vitamins. The Mephrodatic antidote was extremely successful for many centuries, and perhaps uh, one of its biggest success is that it gave birth to another drug, and that's theriac. So theriac was invented by someone called Andromachus the Elder, who was physician to the Roman Emperor Nero, uh, who uh, was uh, an emperor in the first century CE. So what Andromachus did is that he took uh, the, the drug of Mephrodates uh, and he tweaked it, uh, he changed the amount of opium, and also he added viper flesh, and that made it a superb uh, drug against uh, the, the bites of uh, venomous snakes. And theriac was uh, extremely successful. It was the drug of choice of Roman emperors. Uh, and in the Middle Ages, it became uh, a drug used uh, in the fight against plagues and in particular against the Black uh, Death. 
and both the mephrodatic antidote and theriac were still to be found in uh, official pharmacopoeias in the 18th century uh, in, in several countries and in some even until the 19th century. So extremely successful. Now, you might never have heard of uh, Feriac and uh, Mephrodatic uh, Antidote, but actually you will be familiar with them in another way, because you will be familiar with what they look like and what they smell like. And this is like treacle. And indeed, the word treacle, the English word treacle, by a rather torturous uh, etymologic root, is a derivation of the Greek word theriake, theriac. Unfortunately, I don't have treacle here to show you because, because of the, the COVID-19 crisis uh, and uh, the interest in, in baking at the moment, I can't find any in the shops. But if you have some at home, I hope you can open it and taste it and smell it and think of all the long story that goes back to the second century BC and think that you're consuming a drug that is truly fit for a king. <laughs>